Let's pray. If your neighbor's okay with you putting a hand on their shoulder or holding their hand, uh, do that. If they say no, then just be respectful. Not everybody's cool with that. And that's okay. I wouldn't be cool with some of you touching me either. So here we go. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We believe, Father, that church is much more than an event we go to. It's a family that we get to belong to. And Father, I pray that as we see what could be the last day approaching, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be strengthened in regards to what it means to exist in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace, and that we would fulfill that portion of your high priestly prayer, Jesus, that says that all of us would be one as you and the Father are one. And in that oneness, in that unity, in that withness, that there would be a testimony of something deeply holy and sacred and supernatural going on that points people to the real, the living, the breathing, the fire-filled God whose name has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's in that name that as brothers and sisters tonight we pray, amen. Last week I started a conversation in regards to church being family and I, and I started talking about uh, two things that I feel have a very precise and laser-like ability to dismantle and rob us of deep-seated connection with God and deep-seated connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I spoke of two mentalities, the orphan mentality and the poverty mentality. Um, I will some point in time come back because I have a lot more to say about that. And I'll probably do some, some sort of a, of a, of a series around, uh, around that at a later time. But I want to continue on tonight with talking about another subject that is equally dangerous in regards to our connection with God and our connection with each other. And what I want to talk to you tonight is about offense and unforgiveness. Offense and unforgiveness. So I know I just keep picking the most tame subject matter in the world to, to talk about. So you can pray for me and, and uh, tell God to th- give me a break every now and then. I just want to talk about how you get uh, you know, a coffee shop and Cadillac and all those kinds of things. And how you can have your own jet. And he just doesn't let me talk about things like that. So uh, if you're believing for all those things, that's, that's great. I'm not knocking you. Uh, that might be your message, but I got a different one tonight. So Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, anytime anybody's going to preach from the Sermon on the Mount, you need to get nervous. Because we, we don't, we don't let's, let me just tell you the truth. We don't take the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount seriously. It's like, Jesus, like we know, we know you're just kidding. Like you don't, we get hit on the cheek, you don't really turn the other cheek. That's metaphoric and loving our enemies. We can hold on to a little bit of resentment, you know. It's justified, especially if they're wrong. And those kinds of things. And yeah, so that's how we feel about the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, just take off your, your, uh, your, your filter and let's engage with the text in, in a fresh way, like maybe just believing what it says. All right, let's try. So you have heard, sorry, verse 21. Jesus talking, it's in red. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. We say amen. It's not a good idea to be killing people, is it? Man, that wasn't a good response. (laughs) And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, everybody say brother, will be liable to judgment. Okay. What else do you have to say, Jesus? Whoever insults his brother, everybody say brother, will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, keeping in context to a brother, will be liable to the hell of fire. ESV. I believe it's New King James or King James that says hellfire or something like that. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar And go. Man, what do you typically bring as a gift to the altar? Something valuable? What do you bring as a gift to the altar? Usually something that costs, right? And at the altar, we're engaging in something called worship, correct? Okay, so Jesus is is setting us up here. 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And he says, come to terms with your accuser quickly while you're going with them to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Everybody say offense, which leads to unforgiveness, is a trap. Jesus is speaking here in regards to having some kind of ought, some kind of disagreement, some kind of anger, some type of offense, some type of wrong that's been done, maybe in both parties, maybe by one party. And in the middle of all this, he starts to connect the things that are going on in our hearts in regards to disagreements, offenses, and little pieces of unforgiveness. He connects that with family terms like brother. And he starts to reveal to us that from God's perspective, relationship with your brother and sister trumps your worship. So we'll let that sit for a second. If worship is more important than relationship with your brother, then why didn't Jesus say, if you have ought in your heart toward your brother, give your gift and it'll take care of it. Give your praise and it'll take care of it. Give a big offering that week and it'll take care of it. Jesus said, if you have something in your heart against your brother, leave your gift Go make it right with your brother and then come back and present it. So from that passage out of the mouth of Jesus, what I can conclude from that is that relationship in the family of God is more important to God than your private worship of him. Jump with me really quick over to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, verses 17 through 32. This is dangerous, but hey, let's just do it. It should make you uncomfortable, by the way, when I say those things. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth. They had some problems. Anybody else had problems before? Okay, church in Corinth had problems too. Christians can have problems, it's okay. We just have the solution living on the inside of us so the problems at some point should hopefully get resolved or else we're missing something. Paul says this to the Corinthians in regards to the Lord's Supper. Listen, he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Okay, do you ever spend time reading the Bible? Do you ever spend time with wrestling with the things the Bible says? I thought it's always good To come together, to fellowship, to love one another, to worship God. The Apostle Paul just said, when you come together, because what was happening is, at that time, the church was made up of a bunch of house churches, a bunch of life groups. And on regular rhythms and regular basis, all the groups would come together in one big assembly with each other. And they would engage in worship. One of the main elements of that worship would be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. And Paul says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Man. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's a little, you got to catch. There's, there is some Pauline, there's something called Pauline sarcasm that you have to catch. The more you read Paul, the more you'll pick it up. He's saying, well, I guess it's a good thing that there are some phonies amongst you so we can find out who's really genuine. Is really what he's saying. Strong language, I know. When you come together, it's not to eat, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk, What? 
Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? He said, all the division, all the strife, all the me first thinking, can't you save that for home? Shouldn't it be different in God's house? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, everybody say discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul says whenever you come together, there's divisions going on in your midst. There's factions of you separating. We're all partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus, which is the same body and the same blood, but we're behaving like we're not united. We're letting the little, the little divisions and stripes and offenses, the little foxes that spoil the vine, creep in. And we're not discerning that whenever we're offended with our brother or our sister, it's like being offended with the Lord Jesus himself. Because he says, you are not discerning the body. One of the most important things that we can do as a group of people living in a pagan, carnal, saturated culture is actually treat things in the church like they should be, which is sacred. And the only way that we treat things in the church like they should be, which is sacred, is we have to learn that the person sitting next to us is sacred. The person sitting next to us is the place that Christ has chose by his spirit to take up residence. And in the same way that we partake of each other in an unworthy manner, whenever we deal in accusations, whenever we deal in strife and division, whenever we deal in offenses, whenever we deal in anger, whenever we deal in unforgiveness, there's something that happens in our flesh. There's something that we do and we open up room for the accuser and the destroyer of our flesh who is the devil. Wherever you are experiencing the effects of the enemy, and his effects are this, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, is a place in your life where you have empowered him. Because on the cross, Jesus took all power away from the devil. And he gave power back to us who would be the children of God. But here's the thing that you have to know is that the devil, his car doesn't have any more gas in it because Jesus is taking care of that. But you've got a full tank. So what happens is is that the devil will siphon your gas if you let him. And we can fuel the fires of his wily schemes And I would propose to you that the number one way that the body of Christ gives the devil place is whenever we let things in our hearts about each other that have no place being in there. Whenever we entertain accusations about each other for a little too long. I'm not just talking about accusations against the preacher. I'm talking about accusations against the person sitting next to you. I'm talking about the people that we hug in the hallway. I'm talking about the people that have called Victory Life Church home. And if this really is a family, then there's something that causes breakdown in families whenever we're holding on to things that are causing us pain, holding on to things that are causing us anger, and they're never dealt with. And the easy thing to do in the midst of a culture that's addicted to comfort, is to push all those things down and to tell ourselves, well, deep down, we've really dealt with it. 
Even though whenever we see that person, even though whenever we interact with that person, we still feel those tinges of anger. We still feel that distrust. We still feel those things going on in our heart and in our mind. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to slow down. I'd like to draw attention that Paul says something here. And, and this is what he says. He says that if we will make a decision to judge ourselves, that that's our best bet. Verse 32, 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Every now and again, we have to stop and we have to do what I call a heart check. And what we have to do is we have to allow ourselves to check on our connection between us and the Lord and check on our connection with us in Jesus, check on our connection with us and the Holy Spirit and access especially the Holy Spirit in the way that Jesus has given him to us, which is, as Brother Jesse said tonight in the worship, to lead and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will always answer your question if you're going about the business of discovering truth. He won't back up your faulty opinion and he won't brace you up against your childish accusations. Are you following me? But every now and then what we have to do with the people of God is we have to have a heart check and we have to ask the Holy Spirit a serious question and it's this, where in my life right now am I believing a lie? Where in my life right now am I believing a lie about you, God, about my brothers and my sisters, about the church as a whole? I don't know if you know this or not, but anybody that has an offense or anybody that's harboring unforgiveness has a good reason. It's a good reason to them. That's why they have it. But most of the time what I have found is people that are harboring offense, good Christian people, which I believe every single person here tonight is, that was your chance to encourage yourself, good Christian people that are holding on to an unforgiveness or holding on to an offense have a good reason for it. And the good reason for it most of the time is called pain. They've actually been hurt. They've actually been mishandled. They've actually been done wrong. They've actually been betrayed. Surely you know this by now, but sometimes the people, honestly, exclusively, the times the people are able to hurt us the most are usually whenever we're dealing with family. I don't know about you, but there's really no skin off of my back whenever I'm driving down the road and I do something dumb in traffic, which I'm prone to do. I'm just going to confess in front of everybody, I'm not the best driver in the world. <laughs> My wife is just really excited that I finally confessed that. <laughs> I'm not the best driver in the world, but I'm not the worst either. Okay, I've been on the road with some of you. I'm not the worst either. And you didn't know what I drive, but I saw you. Okay. <laughs> I've been driving down the road before and it's not really any skin off my back whenever I do something dumb in traffic and the guy next to me decides to remind me that I'm number one. You know what I'm talking about? I take that as a compliment. Sometimes I need to be reminded that. I don't do it back because there can only be one number one and he just said I am it. So it doesn't quite work with number two because then I don't have my hands on the wheel so I can't do that. But when that happens, it's not any skin off my back. I just, it doesn't bother me. Maybe in a minute, for a second, like, what's that guy's problem? He needs to get saved. And I'm like, oh, that was so-and-so. No, I'm just kidding. True story. Had it happen one time. It was really funny. It was really funny. It was really funny. Just got a new car. They didn't know it was us. Anyway, it was, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. It's nobody here tonight. Okay, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you need to know is that that doesn't bother me because I'm not trying to maintain connection with that person. Most of the time I will pull over and let them get around me because I want to distance myself from that person. Where it's painful is when it's somebody that you want connection with. When it's painful and it hurts is whenever you're dealt wrongly by somebody that you respect. When it's painful and when it hurts is when you're done wrongly by somebody that you've called brother or sister. I'll take it a step further. And by the way, the goal tonight is freedom. That's all the goal is. The goal tonight is nothing in regards to uh, trying to inflict more pain. The goal tonight is to 
maybe hopefully uncover some pain so that we can now find ourselves in the presence of a gracious and loving healer that wants to touch us. That's the goal. Anytime I minister, the goal is freedom. That's just my goal. I have a passion for freedom because I like being free and you should too. If you taste it, you'll never want to go back. The pain, the offense, the unforgiveness festers from somebody we call a brother or sister. And to be honest with you, it can get worse whenever it's come from someone that we've called husband, wife, mother, father, aunt, uncle, best friend. There's reasons that we justify our unforgiveness and our offenses. But Paul, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, paints some pretty concerning pictures. And this is where the phrase, I think, that you hear a lot of ministers preach, and they'll say that unforgiveness is like poison that only you drink. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it'll affect the other person, but it's only affecting you. There's some implications whenever we don't discern the body of Christ and we allow the divisions that the enemy's trying to work in our hearts and in our midst cause us to engage in fellowship with each other and fellowship of the Lord in an unworthy manner. It's not God putting plagues on us. It's very much in line with what pastors talked about in regards to sowing and reaping. But whenever you partner with the one who is the divider, whenever you partner with the one who is the liar, Whenever you partner with the one that is the accuser, you get his benefits, which are no benefits at all. But when your free will partners with the one who is the giver, partners with the one who is the healer, partners with the one who is truth, you get all his benefits, which are many and good. This is the way this, this, is the way this works. So go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 18. I've been using a lot more scripture, have you noticed? Hope you're proud of me. Matthew 18, same book. I read you Matthew 5 about if you got something against your brother, go and work it out with them before you bring your gift. And I said the thing everybody's still worried about that God puts a higher value on relationship amongst us than our private worship of him. Does it still make you nervous? Good, let it make you nervous. Ask him about it and he'll tell you. If he tells you that I'm, I'm wrong, come tell me so I can make sure that you finally talk to God. Just kidding, just kidding. All right, Matthew 18, verse 15. Same book, and Jesus is gonna talk about the same thing twice. You know, if Jesus is the word of God made flesh, is he gonna talk about something in the same book twice, it might be important. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Man, what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ actually took their problems with others to the other instead of to the others. That could be really cool, couldn't it? We'd actually be able to maybe work through some things. All right. Sorry, Jesus, we're just still having a hard time believing you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, I love Jesus just knows people. If he listens to you, which means don't be discouraged if he doesn't. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's awesome. But if it does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Man. I thought Jesus loves everybody. He does. He just doesn't agree with everybody. And I know it's crazy, but in the culture today, you can actually disagree and still love. Disagreement is not hate. Disagreement is not hate. And, and the church is really being set up right now to model that. Because if we can get these relationships right, okay, how many of you, well, that's really risky to ask. You, don't, you can raise your hand in your heart so you don't have to give yourself away. But how many of you have had a hard time even agreeing with everything that the preacher says? 
I said something tonight that hopefully you're having trouble agreeing with. That God puts, puts a higher value in our relationships, brother to brother, sister to sister, than he does private worship. Okay? We all, the church is set up to be able to be this beautiful thing, not because it agrees with each other all the time, but because in spite of disagreement, it chooses to remain family. It chooses to remain connected. That's a sign and a wonder to a generation that's built on arguing, divisiveness, and intolerance. Because whether you know this or not, the people that are screaming the loudest about tolerance are the most intolerant people on the planet. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I love how we just take, we just take phrases right out of the Bible, out of context, to use them for what we want them to use. Jesus just got done talking about how to handle disagreements and confrontations well. And then he says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The idea is, is that division will cause one thing, which is powerlessness. But whenever we come together in unity... And we choose to operate with the same mentality and the same focus that we're going to bind up divisiveness and we're going to lose peace. That the same way that the enemy has an opportunity to work in a negative way and to sift the church and to split people's hearts and to cause divided attention and divided focus. If we'll actually do the opposite of that and partner with the truth teller, partner with the giver, that we can ask as a faith family, I'm sorry, I get excited, but we can ask as a faith family about anything and it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What's he saying is that your impact in a community, your impact in bringing heaven to earth won't necessarily be deterred by the amount of faith that you have or whether or not you can speak in tongues or whether or not you can dance in the Holy Ghost, or whether or not you've ever fallen out in the Spirit, or whether or not you've ever had an open vision, or whether or not you've ever had a prophetic dream, what will really have the ability to hurt your impact in bringing heaven to earth is not being able to reconcile with the brothers and sisters in the family of God around you. What will really limit our impact and our reach in a community isn't if we're fresh out of anointing, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one has totally welled up on the inside of you. You don't need any more anointing. The church isn't stunted in its impact because of a lack of anointing. The church gets stunted in its impact because of a lack of maturity. Because of a lack of Christ's genuine love and concern. And the church a lot of times spends more time engaging in the ministry of peacekeeping instead of the ministry of peacemaking. And peacekeeping and peacemaking are not the same thing. You keep peace by walking on eggshells. You keep peace by never taking stands. You keep peace by never engaging in meaningful conflict. You make peace by being able to say, ooh, this situation is messy, but I'm willing to get down in the dirt with you to make it right. Even if it bruises me up, even if it cuts me up, even if it takes little notches off of my pride, even if it means I actually have to stop petting my emotions and actually get them into subjection to the word of God and the truthfulness of Christ. I'm ready to engage with you as a brother or a sister and let's make this thing right. Let's make shalom. Let's make shalom in the house of God so that we can release shalom into a city. For where two or three of you are gathered in my name, the name of peace, the name of shalom, the name of wholeness, there I will be among them. Let me tell you the dangerous thing about allowing our pain to fester into an infection of offense or unforgiveness is that unforgiveness in our lives actually opens up a door to another kind of pain, which is called torment. Keep looking at uh, Matthew 18. Jesus has just finished the, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Verse 21, everybody okay? Don't worry, I got five minutes. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's a great question. How many of you were thinking that? I was thinking that. 
As many as seven times, you know this, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God, and by the way, at that day and age, that was an astronomical number that couldn't be computed, so it's pretty much saying always. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven must be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. How many of you are glad that Jesus has forgiven you of your debt? I'm so glad. But when that same servant had the debt forgiven, went out, he found one of his fellow servants. He found a brother who owed him a hundred. hundred denarii. hundred bucks. Just got released of 10,000 bucks. We found a guy that owed him a hundred bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Do you see the parallels between bring a brother with you to confront and then if that doesn't work, bring this and then take him to the church, okay? Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. The uh, the New King James Version says, he handed him over to tormentors until all of his debt was paid. So also my heavenly father, Listen, Jesus is saying this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is that all about? Well, let me tell you. Whenever you operate in unforgiveness and you operate in bitterness and you operate in offense, there's an odor that's released from your life. The same way I talked to you last week about this uh, energy that your heart releases three feet around you like a bubble. Do you remember that? You can step into people's bubble and immediately pick up unforgiveness. At least I can. Immediately pick up offense, resistance. And that, that energy, that odor, that, that invisible smell, if you will, that's released from their heart, that smell is attractive to something. And it's not the things of heaven. The smell is attractive to something, and I can tell you what it is. It's attracted to something called tormentors. And most people that I talk to that are bound in unforgiveness, bound in offense, bound in bitterness, are some of the most tormented, tortured people on the planet. But the lie that they believe is that the reason that they're tormented, tortured, and experiencing all this pain is because of the trauma that they experienced or the wrong that they experienced that caused them to get the unforgiveness. They think it was the event that's causing them pain. That's the lie of the enemy, is to keep the event, their powerlessness, their inability to control the situation in front of them. I want to be real with you that victimization is an event, but being a victim is an identity. And there, there should be a problem in the kingdom of God and for the children of God to adopt a victim mentality. To adopt, once again, that orphan or that poverty mentality. And people that are trapped, that are locked in unforgiveness, that are locked in offense and bitterness and and anger towards brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're tormented. They're experiencing pain. Every time they come into the church building, they're reminded of their pain. That doesn't mean that they stop coming because most of them are good people. They've just been hurt. They're experiencing pain. There's people that you meet on the workplace in the job, that have experienced pain of being wronged by a brother or sister in the Lord. How many people have you met, yourself included, that have been hurt by church? Been hurt by church leaders? Did you know that even leaders in the church aren't perfect people? Did you know that even pastors have to be forgiven sometimes? Did you know that I don't handle everything 100% correct? You knew that about me. Yeah. You knew that about me. I knew you knew that about me. But nobody's perfect. And, I did, and I've met so many people that have been exposed to pain, that, are, that have been dealt pain at the hands of people that they shouldn't have been. 
But what happens is, is that the enemy begins to mess with their heads, begins to mess with their hearts and break down their connection with the family of God and ultimately with the Father himself, if he can. And they think that their pain is only the result of the painful thing that's happened to them when in actuality, the reason they're experiencing pain is because of the unforgiveness. Because Jesus said that whenever you choose to operate in unforgiveness, that you are handed over to tormentors. And it's very interesting because it says the father's the one that does it. Man. Here's the thing. If you ever get a really good cookie cutter theology, just read the Bible and it'll mess it up. (laughs) Does God stop being good because he hands you over to tormentors? See, until God's heart's revealed to you, you'll always be suspicious of his word. And you'll always be suspicious of the things he says. You know anybody that you don't trust their heart? You have a really hard time believing the things that they say or knowing why they're saying the things they're saying because there's an ulterior motive. And I just got to figure out what it is that they're really trying to do because I don't trust their heart. I don't trust them. If you don't have trust with God, you'll think that this tormentors that you're handed on to is his wrath, is his retribution. You know, the whole reason that you're handed over to tormentors is to drive you to freedom. The only reason you're handed over to tormentors is to drive you to forgiveness. You know what I pray when people are in the worst spots in their lives because of unforgiveness? I pray the same thing every time. Father, help them have a very low pain tolerance. Because the lower the pain tolerance, the less time spent with tormentors. What's the alternative? The alternative, if kept up long enough, very well could be out of the book of 1 Corinthians, an early grave. See, we think that we can play with fire and not get burned. We think that this stuff is really just theoretical. We think that this stuff really doesn't have any effect on our life. Let me tell you, everything that that the scriptures tell us is truth. And everything that Jesus is revealing is truth. What would you rather have happen? I know there's all different types of parenting these days. So if I offend you over this, get in line. I offend people every day. So just get in line and we'll deal with you one at a time. And I'll tell you I'm sorry and that I love you and that's your fault. But here's the thing that you need to know. I'm sure it's my fault on some level. My, my delivery could be off. I could be sounding uh, you know, arrogant and that's fine because confidence always sounds like arrogance to insecure people. So I can't do anything about that. But I'm just digging myself a hole here, aren't I? Here's the thing you need to know and that you need to understand. What's the better alternative? It says the Father hands you over to tormentors. Okay? It doesn't say divine sky boss. It doesn't say tyrannical God. He's still Father. Still the same Abba. But do you know why he does that? The very same reason that my kids get a spanking. I've never seen my, any one of my children enjoy a spanking. Anybody ever spanked their kid before? Don't worry, this is a safe place. You can admit it. Do they tell you, oh, the divine love and goodness of God. Do they instantly just start speaking in tongues as soon as you get them on the rear? No, what do they do? They respond like they're in torment, don't they? Right? What's the point of the spanking? Freedom. The point of the spanking is freedom. Because if I watch you engage in negative behavior and stand here and do nothing... That if I don't teach you honoring authority and obeying your mother and your father, the scripture says the first command with promise, honor your mother and your father and you will live a long life and things will go well for you. When I don't teach my kids honor and obey, I'm actually setting them up for a shortened life. Am I a mean dad because I spank them? No, I'm a mean dad if I don't engage with discipline because I'm purposefully shortening their life. If the father knows that divisions in his body between his children can lead to an early grave, in regards to what I read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, why would he not allow a little bit of discomfort for you to run back into a place of obedience and honor to what he says? Because until you know that he has your best interests at heart, you will always be suspicious of him and the people that bear his name. (laughs) 
unforgiveness in your life and the torment that results from it is not coming from whatever event it was that wronged you. The torment that you're experiencing in unforgiveness is the byproduct of giving off an aroma that is attracting consequences in your life that should have never been there in the first place. Here's the most beautiful thing on the planet. Did you know that Jesus has already done something about all of this? Do you know that Jesus hung on a cross and forgave the entire world? Not so that you could conjure up something in your strength in regards to forgiveness, but operating in true forgiveness is all about just releasing his finished work into somebody else's life. Do you know that when I've struggled with being tempted to harbor unforgiveness the most, I didn't get released from it by even saying that I choose to forgive this person, even though that was part of the statement. I got there by saying, Jesus has canceled this person's debt the same way that he's canceled mine, then why in the world would I engage with unforgiveness? Because to be honest with you, when I engage in unforgiveness, I actually engage in something that's anti-Christ. Jesus operates in total and complete forgiveness. It's why he hung on a cross naked and beat beyond recognition and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because that guy did that, I can now apply his work the same way I've applied his work to be saved. The same way I've applied his work to be healed. The same way I've applied his work to see success in my marriage, success with my kids, success in my heart, wholeness in my life. It's the same work I can apply in regards to whoever is wrong me, wrong me and making peace by the blood of his cross. I can say Jesus has forgiven you and because of that forgiveness, so do I. I release you of debt because to be honest with you, you've already been released of debt. The most tormenting thing about unforgiveness is that unforgiveness itself is a lie. The person that you're offended with, the person that you're bitter with has already been forgiven by the God of the universe. There's no way to unforgive them. They've already been forgiven. Unforgiveness will keep you frozen in time. And nothing's more traumatic in the life of somebody you love that you're connected with or the life of that person themselves than being unable to move forward in life. Unforgiveness will freeze you in a moment that God never wanted to allow to stop your movement. People get stuck in unforgiveness because of moments And all the while, life is moving past them. Their relationships are growing beyond them. Their kids are maturing beyond them. The church is growing beyond them. Do yourself a favor. I heard this this week and it's powerful. I'm going to do my best to, to release it to you. Whatever part of the body you are, however hidden, however covered you might feel, you are vital to the success and thriving of the overall body. I don't pay much attention to my liver. Did you know it? Because I kind of got a lot of stuff blocking it. It's underneath here somewhere. But do you know that if my liver is not present in my body, I can't thrive and be successful. I don't care what part of the body of Christ you are. You need to see your value, that you're a part of the body. And if you don't thrive, we can't thrive. And I don't know about you, but I don't put a lot of stock in people being left behind. I want us all to go together to where we're trying to get to. Nothing's more traumatic for you and the people around you that love you most than to see you stuck in a moment that now has stopped your movement. I encourage you tonight, move forward in your life. I'm gonna end with a question that I get asked a lot. Every pastor does. Pastor Zach, how do I know when I've forgiven? Is it when I don't remember anymore? Is it when all the different things? Let me tell you how you know when you've forgiven. It's whenever you stop waiting. It's whenever you stop waiting 
for the person that you're offended with, for the person that you're harboring unforgiveness with. It's when you have stopped waiting and expecting them to apologize. It's when you've stopped waiting or expecting for them to admit that they've been wrong this whole time. It's whenever you have finally stopped waiting for them to pay up what they owe you. It's when you finally stop waiting for them to tell you why they did it. It's whenever you stop waiting for them to make it right and you realize that this whole thing has already been made right with Jesus on the cross. And you say, Jesus has forgiven you. Want me to let you in on a little secret? It's okay if you can't even say that you forgive them. Because to tell you the truth, they're already forgiven. You just need to believe it. And if you believe that you're not living anyway, but that you're dead and you're now a new creation in Christ, and that your identity now is actually connected to his name, you're a Christian, you can say Jesus has forgiven you. And that be your extension of forgiveness as well. Do you know why? Because you are part of his body. The scripture says, as he is, so are we in this life. Jesus' forgiveness for the world is your forgiveness for the world. All you have to do is make it yours and release it. That's all you have to do. Isn't it beautiful? You don't have to die on the cross for anybody's sins. And you don't have to bring an offering, a blood offering, to cancel the debt of somebody else. All you have to do is believe that Jesus' blood is enough. Remind yourself that it's been applied to you. And now take that same blood and release it to the person that's hurt you. That's all you gotta do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Ministry team, why don't you come? All across the room tonight, honest moments between you and God. If you're here tonight and you've been locked in that cycle of unforgiveness, you actually have been frozen in time because of the offense and bitterness and unforgiveness that you're carrying. And you've never been able to fully let it go. But you know that tonight is your night to let it go. To extend the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. To make Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To make those words your words tonight by the Spirit of God. And this is all that I ask in an honest moment between you and the Lord. Just put both of your hands on your heart. I want you to see Jesus. Allow yourself to see him through the eyes of your heart. I want you to pay attention to the expression on his face. I want you to pay attention to the posture that he's engaging in right now with you. And I want you in your heart to tell him, Jesus, I'm ready to forgive. But I'm not sure I know how. Even after the message I've heard tonight, I've, I feel my heart racing. I feel myself getting hot. I might even feel myself getting tense. I'm afraid. This isn't right what's happened to me. Let the Lord minister to your heart if you're in that place with him. Let him give you his peace. Let him give you his rest. And now when you're ready, I want you to see the face of that person that you've been carrying this unforgiveness toward. And just in a whisper, not loud, nobody needs to hear you but Jesus. But we do, there is something to actually getting it out, not just letting it be inward anymore. You might have not said this person's name in years. Maybe you say their name every day. But right now, between you and the Lord, it's good to practice this with everybody, but especially tonight, if this is somebody that's of the family of faith, this is really important that you engage in this. That's our priority tonight. Just between you and the Lord, I just want you to 
just in a whisper, say their name as you see their face. And this is what I want you to say out loud now. Not in a whisper voice, but in a normal speaking voice. We're gonna say this together if you've got your hand on your heart. Now that you've said that person's name, I want you to say these words after me. Jesus has forgiven you. He has released you of all debt. I am one with him. Your debt, though it's great, is canceled. Go in peace. I want you to picture this unforgiveness as just a a large weight. Could be a big rock. Could be a heavy pack on your bag. Could be a yoke on your shoulders. Whatever comes to your mind. And I want you to Ask Jesus to lift this weight off of you. It's in your heart. Jesus, lift this weight off me. And watch what he does with it. Stay in that place of presence with the Lord. Everybody experiences this a different way. I told you at the beginning of the service that the goal tonight is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom reigns in this place, God. Thank you for preparing a way of forgiveness before us. Thank you for making us whole with your peace. Thank you for giving us rest. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Just tell Jesus you love him. Tell him thank you. Stand to your feet if you received anything good from God tonight. Why don't you stand up? And as you do, give him praise. Jesus, we love you. You're so good to us, God. Thank you for never giving up on us. Father, thank you that church is family. And offenses are going to come. Disagreements are going to come. But we have a people raised up here that know how to weather the storm. How to stay connected with you and connected with each other to operate in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus, to see our connection with each other protected and deepened and our connection with you protected and deepened all by the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you now and all of your days. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Why don't you come? Need a miracle in your life? You need people to minister in the power of the Holy Ghost to you in any capacity? The teams are here ready to serve you. Don't forget your kids. See you soon. Go get them out of class.